Very nice. Beautiful. Just a small sample of the encouragement that comes through music ministry. It uh, truly is a blessing the Lord has given us. And uh, I just learned that it was Elliot is going to start playing the piano. I wish I would have played you know, a, a, an instrument when I was younger to be able to encourage others today. So um, just very thankful for that as we look at opportunities for ministry. Bryson's playing the piano? Who was on the triangle, Gerald? It's secret. Okay, secret. Kind of like my plays for next week. Secrets. These last two are going to be some fun messages, folks. Some good ones from Jonah. Painful, maybe. Painful, but fun. Because we're going to see, we're going to look at Jonah, we're going to see ourselves in the mirror. We're going to look at ourselves and, and we're going to say, well, that's me. And uh, that is exactly what uh, the, the author was wanting the Hebrews to see. He's wanting Israel to see that what we see, where we've fallen short. And our, our passage from Jonah chapter 4, verses 5 to 8, you can turn there, we'll stay there most of the, uh, most of the morning. That reveals Jonah's immediate response now to God's question. His question was in verse 4, Do you have good reason to be angry? In verse 5 it says, Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant, but God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head, so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to me than life. Hmm. Well, before... We look at Jonah's response here in a little more detail. I expect that most of us would agree with an assertion that Christians want to be a good influence during our lives here on earth, right? We want to make an impact. We want to be useful. And I've heard the similar words of lament the entire time I've been in ministry. Still hear them somewhat today. Have for years. They go something like this. You know, I'm, I'm so anxious just to... For, for God to reveal to me what He's doing for me, to, to get involved with ministry, what it is that He has for me, what ministry He has for me, what He wants me to do for Him. Hear that again and again. And uh, there's, a, there's a lament that, you know, that God just must have something that He wants me to do. Something He wants me to do. And pastors, you know us, we virtually are always enthusiastic to agree, yes! Yes, God does have something for you. We make a couple suggestions and they go, Nah, that's not it. That's not it. In regard to pastors, Ephesians 4 verse 11 tells us that Christ gave some as apostles, some as prophets. We've studied 1 Timothy before, learned those offices are closed. But he also gave some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Add to this Hebrews 13, verse 15 to 17, which advises us all 
through Christ then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. And I I can see in your faces already, some of you are thinking, "Uh uh-oh, this is one of those sermons. No, it's not going to be that bad. You know, everybody who has been here for any length of time knows that that we aren't high pressure on trying to get people involved. We don't We don't push you into something you don't want to be involved with. It's not our style. Well, sometimes. Sometimes. Special circumstances. Instead, we rely on the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the Word, the teaching of the Word, the encouraging of the Word to compel people, to compel the members of His body to give, to sacrifice, to serve, to take part in the ministries that God has set before us. The Word of God will do that. I pray it does so today. That we'll be compelled to participate in ministry. Another word for service. But we must also acknowledge that Scripture indicates that Christ would give overseers, pastors, teachers, those types, to both shepherd and, we're told, to equip the flock for the works of service, for the building up of His body. A spiritual desire to serve. It's natural to the regenerate believer. The regenerate believer wants to serve in some capacity. Church leaders are given to help guide that service. Scripture tells us, do not neglect doing good and sharing. Obey leaders, submit to them. They keep watch. Pastors will give an account, it says. Our goal, shepherds, is that you will receive a profit when you see Christ. That it would not be unprofitable for you this, this season of flowering in Christ. We don't want it to be unprofitable. We want it to be profitable to you. Consequently, to help people discover their giftedness, how to become useful to Christ, that's one of our greatest joys in ministry. A pastor will, will always acknowledge that, that, that we really want to see people thrive in ministry. When a Christian finds that fit where they become self-motivated, where they're pretty much turnkey, they know what they're doing, they, they take great pleasure in what they're doing, they can't wait to continue what they're doing. We have many examples here, just to name a few, by no means exhaustive here. we got Nancy Kishfi, Rhonda Quintana, that teach children Sunday school Sunday mornings. They love doing it. They show up. You really don't even have to do much except help them get ongoing curriculum and others. They're self-motivated to serve every week. We've got Jennifer Travis, um, Donna Damsky, Ruth Buchanan. Uh, They come up. They clean every week. We don't even have to ask them to do it. They just take joy in serving. We've got Curtis, Iva, and Lee. They hold street signs every week. Serving because they love to serve. John Sanford and Tim, they work on the building and grounds pretty much every Saturday morning. Others join in with that, many others, every week. Jerry teaches Bible Life Group every week. And the members of the body basically find their niche 
to where they become productive for Christ, where it is profitable for everyone involved. They become self-sufficient in a sense as well. And we want to help people discover what your role is. I could go on and on with many, many names, not meaning to leave anyone out. There are those who serve in Awana, choir, as we just saw, youth ministries, bubble balls yesterday. These are our varsity team players. They're on the varsity. They get involved. They play ball. They've discovered their talent. They know their position. They jump right in on game day. We call them stars. We refer to them as stars. And uh, you didn't know that, did you? Gerald and I call you stars. And when the chief shepherd appears, they're not going to have to to battle and fight over who gets to hoist that single trophy. Like we're going to see next Sunday. The Super Bowl trophy. Everybody wants their, hey, can I get in the camera and get a chance? They're not going to have to fight over that trophy. Instead, Jesus Christ is going to reward to each one a crown. Jesus Christ is going to give those who have served Him a crown. Hmm. You know, as pastors here, elders, other leaders, our deacon as well, others who serve in varying roles of teaching, we would love for everyone to find their position and receive that special crown. There are a number of types. We've talked about rewards before. But to have Christ place on you a beautiful crown. Can't imagine what that day will be like. It will be glorious because we will be crediting Him for everything that we've been involved with. But unlike pro sports teams, you know, we aren't limited to the number of players. We aren't limited to just five on the court at one time or 11 in football. Everybody can be an active player. Everybody can get involved. And that is the blessing of the church. And churches, in churches, there's always plenty to do. Always plenty to do. Sometimes people don't notice There's an opportunity to do anything, so they get comfortable. They find a bench to sit on. Sometimes what God is doing is is just directly right in front of their eyes. They don't see it. Pastors can point things out. Other times, people actually see it. But they say to themselves, you know, that's not really what I had in mind. It's not really what I wanted to be involved with. Instead, They find a shady spot to sit down. Well, Jonah sees it. But Nineveh, Nineveh, that's not the ministry that he wanted to be involved with. It's not the opportunity he had in mind. So he got angry at God. As we discussed last week, Jonah, he was displeased that God had turned his compassion away from the nation of Israel towards the Gentiles. And God asked Jonah in verse 4, Do you have good reason to be angry because I did this? That now Israel's out, Nineveh is in, the Gentiles are in. And God's question to Jonah resonates with a passage from Jeremiah that we're probably all pretty familiar with. When Jeremiah was prophesying about 150 years after this time of Jonah, he's prophesying against the southern kingdom called Judah, they didn't learn anything from the northern kingdom. They're getting similar warnings, being told they're going to go into exile. They say, no, we're not. But we're told in Jeremiah chapter 18, beginning in verse 1, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, 
and there I will announce my words to you. Jeremiah went down there and says, Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was, uh, on the vessel he was making uh, was clay, and it was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel, Jeremiah saw, as it pleased the potter to make. Notice how God provides a principle that applies to any nation today, not merely Israel. In verse 5, Jeremiah says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I speak concerning a nation, or concerning a kingdom to uproot or pull down. Notice he's talking about nations in general. Or I might destroy it, he says, if that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I planned on bringing it. Sound familiar to Nineveh? Then he says, or at another moment I might speak concerning a nation, concerning a kingdom, to build it up or to plant it, says the potter. God's power is astonishing in ministry. He can do things way beyond what we can do. I anticipate that Jerry has been sharing in Bible Life Group some of this teaching from the Bible. Actually, that that Paul uses and applies this same principle in Romans chapter 9 to individuals. Does the potter not have right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use, the other for common use? Paul concludes, so then God has mercy on whom he desires. He hardens whom he desires. And just as Jonah had previously confessed in chapter 2, verse 9, he says, salvation is from the Lord. It's from the Lord. Those are his words, but his actions aren't matching up with his confession. The question to Jonah is, do you have good reason to be angry? And I don't even think Jonah answered it personally. If he did, his answer was probably so pathetic, God didn't even include it, perhaps not even to embarrass him more. God has declared, Nineveh, that's where I'm working. And in verse 5, we have a response from Jonah. It says, Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself, and he sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. Have you ever gotten roped into a ministry that you really didn't want to deal with to begin with? So so you did the bare minimum. I'll do, you know, just exactly what I was asked, nothing more. That's what happened with Jonah here. Back in chapter 3, he was told, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you. So, So Jonah did that. He did the bare minimum. He fulfilled what God had asked of him, and then he proceeded to walk off the sideline to go find a seat on the bench. He said, you know what? I'm not playing ball. I'm not going along with this. And he did as many Christians and churches do today. You know, he claimed for himself a nice, comfortable seat to camp. Found himself a spot. You know, oh, man, it looks like the Holy Spirit's working here. God's working here. Man, there's some interesting things going on. I think that I'm just going to 
sit over here for a while and watch. That's what Jonah's doing. Jonah had arrived from Israel. It's almost certain that he had entered through the gate on the west side of the city of Nineveh. We're told Nineveh size, it was a three days walk, as far as a measurement. And now we see Jonah in verse 5 here, he exits the city on the east. There he finds a comfortable pew, I mean a spot to erect him a shelter, out of, probably out of branches. So Nineveh experiences this joy, this revival, the God working amongst them, as we have discovered in previous verses. In verse 5, Jonah, he's just sitting in the shade to see what would become of the city. I'm going to see what becomes of the city. I really like how the NASB translates this. It says that he went out there to see what would happen in the city. That gives a, gives a correct impression here. Jonah is just curious enough to sit around and watch for a little while to see what becomes of things. I wonder what's going to happen here. Uh, he didn't walk out, sit on a hillside on the other, outside of Nineveh for another 37 days to see if God still judges them. That's not what's happening here. That's not what the narrative is suggesting here. You know, the text already assured us. We've, we've studied this in depth. We are assured as the reader that God has already spared them in verse 10 of chapter 3. Jonah understood this. He's greatly displeased about it. And we're told in verse 1 that's the reason he became angry. He's, he's upset about things. He knows that that, that 40-day window is off. It's, it's, it's no longer in view. And that window that at the beginning of chapter 3, the 40 days and I will destroy you or overturn you, it's only referenced once in the book. It's never, never again referenced through the remainder of the verses. Remember how essential it is if, if something's important, it's repeated? That thing, that's not repeated. We've talked about that. That's not repeated. Verse 10 was provided so that we, the reader, could understand, you know, in combination with Jonah's behavior, that the 40-day timeline has been scrapped. It's no longer in play. Jonah could have walked possibly 20 miles that day. It's about how much you could cover on foot in that day. But he really had no clear place to go. Instead, he turned around and said to himself, you know what, I'm just going to sit here for a little while and watch to see what happens. He wouldn't have had enough supplies to sit there 37 more days. He never planned to sit there another 37 days. His curiosity about the city just got the best of him. He already knew that God had spared Nineveh. We know that from the narrative. He's just out there camping out. I want to see what happens next. What becomes of this? Possibly the same reason that some of you have been sitting around here as long as you have. I think I'm just going to sit around and see what happens next. Find a comfortable seat to call home is what Jonah's doing. And... and you know, I think I'm just going to enjoy myself here and see what happens. I'm going to look around here and see what happens with Nineveh. 
And the plan works out all right for a while. If you're a Christian here today, you're probably feeling pretty blessed. Been spared from your sins, you're feeling good. He's taking care of you, life is good. God makes some nice situations for you, some nice conditions, a nice shady plant kind of growing up over your head. Found a nice comfortable spot about three rows back from the back. Sorry, Fred, it's just an example. Somewhere in the third row from the back. It's just an illustration. Fred's great. Just picking on him. But we as Christians, we find a nice shady spot to sit. Like Jonah in verse 6, we're extremely happy. We're saved. Everything's good. You know, God's got ministry going on over here and over there. I saw some Awana going on. I saw bubble balls. I saw... Pastor Weiler making fun of Pastor John and the opening statements, the announcements. You know, you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I've really got a good view here. You know, this is really going, going good. I like it here. And then one day it happens. One day it happens. You wake up on a Sunday morning, a lot like today. You arrive at church. You know, everything looks just about normal, like it normally does. And then you realize that God's appointed a worm behind the pulpit. There's a worm. That worm named Pastor John, he's attacking everything that made me feel comfortable. <laughs> I was feeling so comfortable. And everything now doesn't seem quite as comfortable as you remember anymore. And then just like Jonah in verse 8 you know, a hot, scorching, easterly wind. It begins to blow and, and the sun starts to beat down and it gets hot. And you're trying to loosen your collar there and third row from the back, Fred. You're getting a little faint and you're saying to yourself, you know, isn't there some air conditioning in here? This is sure hot today. Suddenly your comfortable place is gone. You say, oh, death is better for me than life. That's what Jonah was saying. Death would be better for me than life. Do you really think, did you think, that God was going to just let you sit there and continue to be comfortable? No. God's Word won't do that to Christians. There are other priorities that we have, other things that we need to do, people that need to hear about Christ. Of course, at some point, God's going to turn up the heat. Of course it's going to get hot. He isn't just going to permit us to sit here and watch forever. He wasn't going to let Jonah sit there and watch forever either, so he brings the heat. You know, I can see already you guys are thinking, you know, you'll be driving home from church today and you'll say, I was feeling really good and then that worm killed my plant. Well, that's the role of a pastor, you know. Killing off everything shady and comfortable. That's what we do here. You know, we Christians have become more concerned about what makes us comfortable, myself included, than about what God has going on directly in front of our eyes. That's why Jonah became angry about the plant in verse 9, because he had lost something that made him feel comfortable. Got taken away. And now God's changed his circumstances so that he can't just continue and sit there any longer. 
He can't. He'll be forced into making a move. Are we going to remain where we're comfortable? Or is God going to force us to make a move? Are we going to be willing to make a move? Or are, are just the ministry that God set in front of us, are we just going to ignore it? See, Jonah had it all wrong. Definitely had it all wrong. Death is not better than life. Death is just death, folks. Death is just death. Your life, your life is that which God has placed directly in front of you. Where you are to make an impact for Him wherever He has you. Not necessarily where you wanted to be put. Your ministry is directly in front of you and everywhere that you are is an opportunity to bring glory to Him. It can be your job. It can be your family. It can be your church. It can be in your county or state or country to make a difference for Christ. It can be in your church. should be in your church. Everywhere there's an opportunity. When it, when it comes to outreach opportunity, there's, there's, a, there's options to be involved of every kind. Everywhere there's opportunity. Opportunity means noticing people's faces throughout your day when you're out there, in your job, in your work. You know, it only takes a few moments to change the trajectory of someone's life. Just a few moments. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. But you have to have your eyes open to see what God is doing directly in front of you. That's where Jonah failed. He wasn't paying attention to what God was doing. He wanted a shady spot. You and I, we must strive to bridge people to Christ. That is what we're here for. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Colossians 3.17, Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All. Everywhere. Family, friendships, neighborhoods. Your job. We must verbally speak the name of Christ. We must verbalize it. Because Acts 4.12 says that there's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There's only one Son of God who shed His blood on the cross for our sins. That's na- His name is Jesus. And, and I assure you after what we've studied that those whom the Holy Spirit is drawing to Christ, where the Spirit is moving, they're waiting for the mention of His name. They're waiting to hear the name. We can hold a door for someone. We can say something polite. You don't speak the name. You aren't doing everything in the name of Christ. We need to look for opportunities to speak the name. You know, when I hand out a tract, we've talked about this before, but there's quite a few new folks here They may kind of wonder how we do things like this. These are just a few samples. When I hand out a tract, typically, after I've had a nice conversation with someone, could I offer you a free ticket to heaven? Would you like to know about that? Rarely ever get turned down. Could I offer you a polite invitation to church? As I showed you, I just tape our connection cards inside. 
So they're already there by the time I give them a ticket to heaven. Can I offer you a polite invitation to church? Rarely ever get turned down. I also strive to make mention of the name of Jesus Christ whenever I can. You know, once they receive the tract, I'll add, you know, that's good news. That changed my life a few years ago when I learned that Jesus Christ bore my sins on the cross. Changed my life. Name the name. If the Holy Spirit is calling them to repentance, they're going to want to hear the solution. You've got to name Jesus Christ, not just be a good person. Sometimes I'll say, you know, there's a polite invitation in there. If you need a need a good Christian church, we're not the only one in town, but if you need a good Christian church to learn the Bible, we're one of them. We'd love to have you with us. We need to be polite. We give them that invitation, that connection card, and it says right in the front, take the first step. That simple. That simple. You know, if God's Holy Spirit begins to move in America, we're going to see an increasing response to all of those that we've given out. Similar invites. You know, you might have another approach. That's perfectly fine. I'm sure Blake has a thousand. You might have other materials you like to use. That's perfectly fine. But notice the people. When you go into a gas station, notice the people. Notice the faces. Look them in the eyes, folks. Look them in the eyes. Offer them a gospel tract. Help them find a place of worship that is explicitly biblical. And, and we're praying that the Holy Spirit will do, as he did with Lydia, open their hearts to respond to the things spoken by us to them about Christ. That's what we're looking for. That simple. is isn't rocket science. It's obedience. It's obedience. If we don't see an increased response, you know, we're still spreading joy. We're still being obedient. Our congregation now over the last several months has handed out several thousand of these gospel tracts. We've had to reorder and reorder. We order a thousand at a time. Then we make Sam stamp them. Where are you at, Sam? Good. Stamp them, will you, with our church name? We've handed out several thousand of these. At some point, we should be expecting that God's going to give an increase. But we need to be praying that God will provide the increase. We've scattered. Others have watered. God needs to provide the increase for his kingdom, for his glory. So, the role today, push harder. Push harder, folks. It may be uncomfortable. You feeling uncomfortable? Push harder, folks. Overcome your resistance, your fear. Push harder. Ephesians 4.11 indicates there's an office of evangelist given by Christ for the benefit of his churches. In my observation, when I look at that in that context of what he's talking about, it indicates someone of leadership, leadership qualifications. They're bold. Himself, he's effective in sharing at some level. Has the ability to teach and encourage others to share the gospel for the equipping of the saints for the building up of the body of Christ. That's what we're here. Whether they come to our church or go attend another Bible-believing church, that's fine too. That's fine too, but we need to share the gospel. The point that we must understand is this evangelist who equips others, he's not the only one in the church who evangelizes, folks. Every Christian is required to evangelize. It's called the Great Commission. 
Every single one of us. No exceptions. No exceptions at all if you're born again by the Holy Spirit of God. That ought to make you uncomfortable. Actually, it ought not make you uncomfortable. Ephesians 4 suggests evangelists are given by Christ to every local church, just as pastors and teachers are given to every local church. It's for the continuous equipping of the saints for the purpose of outreach. Myself, Pastor Weiler, Blake is great about this. Encouraging others, equipping others to fill that role of evangelism. Scripture doesn't represent evangelists strictly, solely as someone who travels around and we see him every year or two. Not strictly that. There are evangelists that do that. Evangelists are to equip us for service. We want to equip you to share the gospel. And uh, it's very important that you condition yourself to share with your immediate surroundings. You know, Americans, Christians in America, we've become so comfortable with just relegating evangelism to an event. You know, we're going to have an evangelistic event, which is good. What I like about events, we go to the park and we're able to, to have group support there, is you can learn to overcome that fear. That, that fear of approaching strangers, you find out very quickly they don't bite your head off. If you're polite to them, usually they're polite to you. So th- those events fill a role. They're very important. We don't just outreach at events, folks. We can't just outreach at events. Um, the Bible suggests in no way that we wait around for an event every three or four or five weeks. That is not it. Evangelism occurs every day. If you want to take the next step, I, want, I would like you to visit with me, Pastor Weiler, others, and we want to get you equipped. We can go out together. Whatever it takes for you to feel equipped to go reach people with, for Christ. Um, That's an opportunity for service. Secondly, for Jonah, there's an opportunity for service at your local church. You know, while many sit in the shade, others are teaching, staffing the nursery, singing in the choir, cleaning, mowing. You know, we're going to have a ministry fair coming again in a couple months where we put up some of our our ministries that are most urgent in need. We're going to profile them, but all of them have needs. You don't have to wait for a couple months. Come visit us about what you can do. Talk to me about getting equipped for that. Um, You know, as a small church, we have kind of a limited number of things as far as diversity. We don't have a thousand different ministries going on. We don't have a thousand different opportunities. But one of the best things that happened to me at my previous church was that they stretched me to do things that I really didn't think I wanted to do. They really did. You see, you know, I could have stayed in the shady spot or I had an opportunity to serve where I was asked. And many people, they come to church, they got the Jonah attitude, you know, if I don't see really what I like going on, I'm not going to get personally involved. I'm going to sit over here in the shade on the sideline. Or... Sometimes we have new visitors. This is very common. They come and tell us, you know, what we should be doing. That's nice, you know. Um, Some will come and we haven't had this, so I'll just use an example. Had one in our previous church. She said, I want to do a motorcycle ministry. And I can say, we don't have anyone who rides motorcycles. 
We don't have the time. We don't have the, the, the people for motorcycle ministry. We don't have anybody who rides motorcycles, but one or two perhaps. And you'd be surprised at how often Pastor Weiler and myself get approached by folks, new visitors especially, who assert, you know, I have something I want to do at your church. Who are you? How long will you be here? Have you ever done this before? And, and you know, that stuff seems really exciting at first to have. Just new things going on all the time. Something new here, something new there. But churches can't constantly invent new ministries according to seasons. I mean, I mean new people coming in. We can't just invent stuff. It'd actually wear us out. It would. It would wear us out being towed from here. Oh, we're doing this this week, and we're doing that the next week. That doesn't work. For that reason, we're careful. You know, we've got 140 on a Sunday. Um, We can only faithfully sustain a few ministries. We need people to be willing to say, you know what, I'll serve, even though that isn't what I had planned on serving in. Um, Opportunities still are everywhere. One of the best things that ever happened to me was making myself available to my church for whatever they needed. Some of the time I wasn't real keen on what they needed. I did it anyway. They made me do children's ministry. Wow. They, they made me go pick up sticks in the vacant lot next door that they were planning on building on. I did it. They want us to chaperone events for youth group. I did it. Um, we need you to host a home study group. I did it. We need you to substitute teach. We need you to meet for prayer. We need you to do this. We need you to do that. We just did it. And I wasn't real thrilled about doing all of them. But to my surprise, and this is the whole point to this, I know you guys want me to get to it. I see it in your eyes. The things that I would have never volunteered for, things I would have never done if it were be my choice, ended up being some of the things that I enjoyed the most really is. I would have never seen myself doing many of those things, but once I did them and I met the people who were doing them, like this is the greatest thing I've ever done. Greatest thing I've ever done. There, there are just so many ministries out there we need to be faithfully available to help. The other thing is that the pastors and elders, as I served in those roles and failed in some and did better in others, the pastors and elders were able to help guide me in what I was decent at. That's what the pastors are there for, to help us determine our calling. <clears throat> one of the most essential, I'll mention this, might as well. One of the most essential ministries, yet most unappreciated ministries in the church, and I've said this before, I'm not going to let it pass. Um, it is buildings and grounds. It really is, folks. Um, there's been some response in evangelicalism, i I think I know why, to really resist working with the buildings and grounds. We've got a couple exceptions here. You know who they are. But it could be a response to the excess of the ornate cathedrals of past. You know, uh, the church isn't a building. We know that, right? Sure it isn't. It could be a response to that. And some start to look at physical things as excess. Folks, the Puritans were simple, but they still had buildings. 
When Jesus arrived in a new city, what he often did to read Scripture and to teach others was to go to the synagogue. He never said this is a bad thing here, having a building. Um, He never spoke against a physical place of worship. Paul, in Acts, went around and found uh, the synagogues right away. Buildings and grounds is an amazing ministry. That's all I want to say. And there's a couple guys who just really carry the weight on that. Um, There are opportunities in outreach. There are opportunities in service. How about opportunities in fellowship? And we'll end here. You know, we're told not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Because Christians, we're we're a body of believers. We we are bound together by the same spirit and same faith. And uh, we're going to spend eternity together. Take a look around. Get familiar with one another. Get to know one another. You know, we're good at this here. We really are. We go around and we meet one another, and, and we're really good about that. Um, we can always improve. And, and when new people come, we need to welcome them. We're very good about this. But just so we're all on the same page, since we've already had a tough day today, abuse, abuse, that's what it is. If you're visiting first time today, it isn't always like this. So often we'll see someone new and we'll say, you know what? I don't think I'd like them. Maybe I wouldn't. They're dressed funny. Ah, they're, I don't know. What do we say in our heads? Just go up and meet them, folks. Don't make up any excuse. Go up and welcome them. Go up and get to know them. And God's going to introduce you to new people, new families. They're going to be the best friends you ever had. We need to have more fellowship. We need to be uh, together more. We have the fellowship dinners. We have the events like Joyful Seniors Fellowship. Folks, get involved with that. Find out who the people are at church. Become a body. Volunteer. Serve with one another. Take the opportunity to get to know someone else and their struggles better. Pray for them. Know the names of the people that you're praying for. The opportunities to serve in ministry, they're enormous. Folks, they're enormous. We just often sit on the sidelines. There's never enough volunteers. There's never enough, enough people. We can't just say, I'm going to do one thing. And if that one thing isn't available, then I'm not doing no thing. Church leadership at Port St. Lucie Bible Church wants you to discover the place in the body, your place in this body. We really want to cut you loose in ministry and do what so many are doing. Um, We have a very limited presence on this earth. Very limited. We are a flower that has bloomed through faith. It will not be long before there's going to come a scorching wind and it's going to blow us away. Then we'll be gone, at least from this earth. Um, Jonah has stopped. I'm getting hot. So is there air conditioning in this place? Jonah has stopped. He's taken a look back to see what will become of the city. He hasn't made a move yet. What is he going to do? God brought a hot, scorching wind. He can't stay where he is. He has to move. He needs to make a move. What is God's final word to Jonah? What's the last thing that he's going to tell him? Study that next week.
What became of Jonah? What did he do? That'll be our discussion for next week.